Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Can we give, actually, can we just, I would like to give a hand to the staff and thank them for the incredible work. Nicole, Daniel, Dory, Jenny, everyone. So good. Um, this church is blessed with an amazing staff. And I have felt so welcomed by them. Uh, two weeks ago, when we were at the Covenant's annual midwinter gathering, we uh, invited the Hillcrest staff into our home for, for dinner one night. It was Nicole's birthday. And it was just really good to hear what God is doing in their lives in this season. And um, it just felt like an honor. So I just want to thank you for your worship, leading, your pastoral care. I just feel blessed to be here. Good morning. So for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Tim Sacconi, and I am honored to be here today. It is a gift to be connected to Hillcrest. I did serve on staff for seven years, but it's been six or seven years now since then, and there's many new faces in this place, and God has done so much good work, and it's a wonderful joy for me to be back on a Sunday morning. I've been back a couple different times during the week to work with Hillcrest on different ministry initiatives, but not on a Sunday morning. And this is such a gift to me to be here. I wish I could have brought my family. So many people have asked for pictures or an update, and I will tell you that our family is doing very well. My wife and I, Maria, have been married 23 years. We have four beautiful children. Our oldest, Caleb, who you might remember, is in high school now. He's 15, and he's dealing with all the wonderful joy of being a high schooler. And I will say this, being a youth pastor to high school teenagers is much different than being a parent of a high school freshman. And so any advice that you have, remember I used to try to give advice, not anymore, because it's much different. So um, our kids are doing wonderful, and they wish they could be here, but um, we're just really glad to be associated with the church. And so just before we jump into the text today and the sermon, I want to say uh, a couple things, and, and maybe if you have your Bibles and you want to open up to the book of Acts 17, that's where we're going to start Acts chapter 17, but just a couple of things, and I love how Nicole said this, that the first thing I want you to know this morning is that I am so grateful for you and grateful for the deep deposit you've made in my life. And I recognize there's a number of people in the church that are newer in the last six, seven years, and, and still, this church is a sending church. It always has been. It always has been. And I feel like I was uh, blessed by your care, your patience with me, um, and then you're sending out to go now serve the denomination. And I also want you to know that I've been praying for you. And I want to recognize, as someone who serves the denomination, has history with you as family, and as also a pastor, that this has been a season that for some of you has been very difficult. We've been praying for you. And I just want you to maybe hear the words for those of you carrying baggage this morning of pain. And it's legit. That's fine. I'm not taking away from it at all. But I want you to hear the words of Scripture. Comfort. Comfort, my people. And I want to remind us that this church is called to mission. And I'm not talking about mission overseas. Certainly that's a part of it. Something deeper in our own lives and in this community. And Satan will do whatever he can to break that calling. This church stands on the shoulders of so many wonderful and gentle and passionate people who have gone before us 
to stand on their shoulders and say, we're still going to be about Jesus. Because guess what? No matter how hard it gets here, Jesus is still on the throne. And he's still the king of this church. In fact, he's still the king of our lives. If our salvation was up, for, up to us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But it is Christ who called us to this place. So comfort to you in this time and peace to you in this time. But may this be a season where, as James says, that we consider joy because God is up to something new. I'm so excited about your interim pastor who will be here, Brad. Wonderful man of God. He has done interims before in the covenant. I think he'll be a gift to you. And I pray that this would be a season of great discernment and wisdom as you lean into what God is doing. May it be so. May it be so. Amen? Amen. So I want to dig into Acts chapter 17 today, and I want to talk about this calling a little bit that we have of mission, this calling of evangelism, particularly as it relates to the younger generation, all right? So let's talk about Acts chapter 17. We're going to start reading with verse 16, Acts 17, verse 16, and uh, would you read with me? While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both, Jew, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, excuse me, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent the time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I am here to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful to be in this place. Thank you for the sunshine outside. Thank you for this moment to come into the throne room of grace and worship you and to be reminded of what an incredible God you are and that you love each person here. Father, I want to pray for my sister or brother who are hurting in this place today. God, would you bring them peace? I want to pray for those of us that are celebrating. God, would you help our celebration to be pointed to you? And may everything that we do today bring your name glory. I want to get out of the way of your word so you speak, Lord. You have your way with our hearts and our minds. We pray that you will be the one that we hear today. Pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So this, <clears throat> this last year, um, I had the opportunity to travel to Pune, India, where we have a covenant church, and I was able to gather together with several other denominational global leaders at a conference that the covenant is actually a part of, the covenant in North America. The Covenant Church in North America is connected to a number of covenant churches all across the world. Covenant Church in Ecuador, Covenant Church in India, the Covenant Church in Congo, the Covenant Church in Sweden, as well as evangelical free churches across the globe. We have a lot in common with them. It's our family history. And several decades ago, the presidents of those denominations started this kind of global conference where they get together to encourage each other. And they give sermons and messages, and they talk about the challenges that are facing the global church. And I was honored to be invited to be the respondent speaker to one of the president's talks. And it happened to be the president from the Evangelical Free Church in Germany, a man that I would come to learn, uh, get to know and learn to respect very much. And he sent me his talk ahead of time. It was like an hour-long talk, and which I'm not going to preach that long today, don't worry. But um, I was struck with his, his vision for the church. And his, his goal was to really talk about how the church globally is free and it should be united. And he had this line in his talk that I was struck by and has rattled me ever since. And he said this, the global church is a body of a shared future. The global church is a body of a shared future. And I couldn't agree more. And so I took that line and I made my response to that one line and I made it specific. And I said, listen, presidents and, and denominational leaders from across the world, I can't agree more with this phrase. It is beautiful to think that we are a church of a shared future, but I want to contend that this shared future must be immersed in a calling to the emerging generation. And to say it maybe in a, in a more serious way, from a more grave posture, posture, if the church is a body of a shared future, we must find new ways to reach the younger generations, or I'm not sure that we're going to be falling in line with God's calling for the church. We must consider our future, and we must consider the church today. And this needs to be a commitment that needs to be in unity with the whole mission an organization of the church. And this, my friends, Hillcrest Covenant Church, on this beautiful Sunday morning, is the message I bring to you today. Is our shared future, as we enter into this season of praying through and seeking God's wisdom, is it keeping in mind the emerging generation? Now, if we dig into Acts chapter 17, I love this part of the passage where Paul references in verse 23 that the people of Athens worshiped an unknown God. That word, that word unknown makes me smile because we could relate to that, especially when we think about ministry to children and teenagers and young adults, especially those of us who are builders, boomers, Xers, whatever label you might lean into. There's a lot of difference in our lives compared to the younger generation. And we think about a couple of examples. We think about millennials those maybe 20 and early 30-year-olds, and then Gen Zers, those teenagers into their early 20s, they seem to worship at the feet of a technology, technology god that most of us are visitors at best. Younger generation individuals have a very different set of values, it seems, than those of us 
who are older in the church. They're, they're driven by a different set of passions than maybe Gen Xers and boomers. And you think young adults see the world in a way that, frankly, some of us do not understand. And because of this generational gap in understanding, we are seeing all across North America a break in the generations of the church. And it's causing a lack of unity, a break in unity. But in this challenging season, we, just like Paul has in Acts 17, have an incredible opportunity in front of us as the established church. And if we dig into Acts 17, we see some very important truths that Paul leans into. I think it's important to note here that the cultural mindsets that Paul was addressing to the Athenians was actually remarkably similar to the post-Christian mindset that much of the United States is wrestling with today, especially in the younger generations across the U.S. Paul actually provides then a model for dealing with these cultural differences to relate the gospel of Jesus to this community. You see, the Athenians in Paul's day, they had a very distant relationship with foreign gods, the scripture says. On the one hand, these Athenians were famous for incorporating these sort of alien deities into their hall of gods. They wanted to learn what were, what's the value that these gods can bring to our lives. But they were also very protective of their way of thinking. And they worried that these gods would maybe change the, the way that their culture was set up. The issue for the Athenians was understanding followed by evaluation. The Athenians would ask, and they were asking Paul, is this God you're talking about something good for us or not? And if it wasn't something good, we're just going to throw them away. And perhaps this evaluation question or the posture of asking evaluation questions can be a helpful starting point for us, the established church, to help understand the way that the younger generation in our community is engaging, or rather not engaging, the church today. But the question that I would contend youth and young adults are asking today about the church is not whether it's good or not. They already have an opinion, and it's probably not very good in their opinion. But one of the things that youth and young adults are looking for is what is beautiful? What is beautiful? If you think about it, Younger generations are marked by this digital world that they can quite effortlessly make as beautiful as they want. Social media, all sorts of different websites. One of the real marks of Generation Z is that they're making the digital world beautiful. They can show you whatever beautiful perspective about themselves that they want you to see. They want beautiful things. And the Stands to reason that the average 19-year-old in the United States would ask about the church, and maybe more importantly than the message of the church, is, is it beautiful? And friends, I say this with humility. Frankly, the message of the church has been anything but beautiful in the public eye, especially to the younger generation in these last several years. We, the church, myself included, are associated with, at least negatively, again, from the younger generation's perspective, is too engaged in political power. We use language that, pres that prescribes an us and them mentality. Sunday mornings continue to be one of the most racially divided times in America. 
multicultural values are incredibly important to the younger generation. And all along, we continue to lose youth and young adults from our churches. And essentially, we're losing the future of our movement. And in all that, myself included, we have the short-sightedness to point out the problems in the younger generation. Oh, it's their fault. They're not conforming to our ways. Rather than ask ourselves that there might be something that we should do different. And friends, hear this. Don't forget this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. It's the most beautiful message in the universe and a message that the younger generation needs to hear. In fact, I would contend they want to hear it. Youth and young adults are still compelled by three very distinct, although not new, curiosities. The same kind of curiosities that you had when you were 15 years old, when you were 20 years old, when you were 25. The first is a question of identity. Who am I? Who am I becoming? That's an identity question that every teenager is wrestling with. Number two is a question of belonging. Where do I fit? Do I fit with you? Perfect church with all my questions, with all my baggage, with all my lack of faith? Do I belong to you? And the third is a question of purpose. What difference do I make in the world? And if the church can't provide a purpose, you better believe millennials and Generation Z are going to find a purpose to lean into. Is there anything, anything that can answer these questions better than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can anything provide an answer out of identity or belonging or purpose better than Jesus? And you and I are called to bring that message to the emerging generation. And for young people, these questions are front and center in their lives every moment of every day. Maybe you're like me in your mid-40s. Maybe not wrestling with your, maybe you have an identity crisis, but maybe it's not every moment of every day. Maybe you're 60 years old. You've been a part of this church for 40 years. So thankful for you. You're probably not wondering about purpose as much anymore, but a 15-year-old certainly is every single day. So our challenge then becomes to learn from Paul, especially in our reference from this text today, especially when we think of being gospel ambassadors to the younger generation. And in that, there are at least three things that Paul shows us in this one text that I think we can learn from. And the first one is this, Paul sees. The first thing I want us to highlight today is that Paul sees. Verse 22, he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. Now for Paul, this is a matter of posture. It's a matter of evangelism. Paul puts himself in a position to be a missionary, an ambassador of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ in a community that actually wasn't that welcome. But Paul, with just enough respect and, and reverence, he was able to posture himself to be heard. He did this by recognizing the truth of the Athenians' worship, all the while knowing that they weren't worshiping the one true God. He led with a respectful recognition of their religious endeavors, but not an acknowledgement that those endeavors lead to a true and saving grace. 
Paul is telling a simple but limited truth, and he's creating a basis for further dialogue. It's not a bait and switch. It was an authentic posture of seeing the other person. And if we filter this posture that Paul takes with the Athenians in a way that, in the ways that we are called to engage the emerging generation, it might lead us to some interesting diagnostic questions. Questions like this. Are youth and young adults a priority to each of us? Are they a priority to you? Do we even notice them in our day-to-day activities? Did you notice that the high school students are in this room right now? Are the youth and young adults in our lives a priority? Do we discount the cultural nuances of Generation Z and millennials because they're different than we are? Maybe even offensive to our own belief system. Do we see, as Paul exemplified for us, that youth and young adults need us to respect them right where they are before we are given voice? Someone once said this quote, teenagers are drawn to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. Teenagers are drawn to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. If we want to share the beauty of the gospel with the emerging generation, we must first see them. The second thing that Paul does is he walks around and looks carefully. Verse 23, it says, For as I walked, Paul says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Paul shows great respect and great investment in that which in many ways defined the Athenians. This is a matter of relationship. Paul established a wise and a trusted voice. It is extremely difficult to establish a relationship unless we acknowledge place, presence, and value. Paul looked carefully, and looking carefully in our context comes by each of us getting involved in relationship with the younger generation and others through showing respect for what is important to these valuable individuals as we put ourselves in a position to show the beauty of the gospel to the younger world and the world outside the walls of this church. So there's some questions that come with this. Do we make the time to get out of our comfort zones and get involved in learning about the younger generation? Or is it just too hard? Are we able to focus on relationship before We begin to assert our traditional Christian values on youth and young adults. Do we have a holy urgency that leads us to this kind of relational value? If we want to share the beauty of the gospel with those who are far from God and in the emerging generation, we must first see them and second, look carefully at the world they live in. We must show value for that which they value. And the third thing that Paul does that's just awesome is Paul proclaims. Paul proclaims. It says in verse 23, as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you today. With the backdrop of Paul establishing that he acknowledges the world, the Athenians value, And furthermore, then shows value for that which they worship. 
he then has the opportunity to say yes to following the Spirit's lead and proclaim that there is a God. And with that one true God comes beauty and freedom and salvation. We should notice that Paul doesn't go into pointing out all the wrong things about the Athenians' culture, nor does he put himself in a position of authority over the Athenians, but rather he comes as a voice that relates to the Athenians in a way that they understand and can resonate with. And all of that, in all of it, he proclaims the one true God who is creator, ruler, and sustainer of all. Paul does not sacrifice the truth of his faith. Rather, he builds an on-ramp for those that are far from God to hear, see, and maybe even believe. And if you've read the rest of the story, you know many Athenians would come to faith that day. And it leads us to this diagnostic question. When was the last time, friends, I say this with humility and love in my heart, that you proclaimed the good news of Jesus to someone who was in the younger generations? And I'm talking outside the context of the Sunday school, youth group, children's ministry, but actually was in relationship with someone. If you can't remember, it may be time to change something. Amen. We have to have a holy urgency to proclaim the good news of Christ to youth and young adults. It's our mission. It's our calling as a church. And sometimes because it's so hard, we let it go. Now with Paul's example is the foundation. I want to name what I think is a beautiful concept that might actually be a way forward for the church, maybe for this church, when it comes to bridging this generational divide. And it is a concept that is immersed in the idea of adoption. Adoption. I think adoption is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I never said adoption is easy. I said it is beautiful. And I actually think that the idea of adoption, the example of it, may be a way that the established church thinks about reaching our young people. The entire message of the Bible gives us glimpse after glimpse of this adoption narrative, this being adopted into the family of God. Paul writes in Galatians 4 about what it looks like to be a spiritual parent community. And it's a community identified by adoption. He says in Galatians 4, when the right time came, God sent his son, you know the scripture, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for those of us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Paul emphasizes the metaphor of a child being adopted. And it's so important to understand this. To be adopted is to be fully accepted as a member of the family with all the rights and privileges of a natural-born child. It is significant that Paul suggests that we are all adopted in the family of God. None of us have any claim on the throne. It is only because of the work that Jesus did and his surrender of his kinship that we have this familial connection. God has generously called us daughters and son. This identity and this calling may best describe the nature of our ministry of adoption for the emerging generation. We have been adopted to share this family name. 
We've been adopted to proclaim the good news that the family can get bigger. We're simply called to value and embrace the emerging generation with all their complexities, with all their questions, with all their frustrations, with all the cultural nuances, and all their beauty as full members of our church. Now, adoption is beautiful, adoption is messy, and adoption is powerful. And if our tech team is ready, sometimes adoption looks a little bit like this. Well, then, unless anyone has anything to add, I'm ready to make it official. <clears throat> Your Honor, yes, if I may. As grandparents, my wife Camille and myself will do the best we can to, uh, to give Victor what we've given our own children, which is our undying love and support. And also, being a baseball aficionado, uh, I would like to teach him the art of fielding the hot grounder. <laughs> okay. But hey, that can wait till later. And... Uh, Your Honor, I'm sorry, if, if I may, I'm Adam Braverman. I'm Zeke and Camille's oldest son, and I promise to be your uncle. Listen, your, your Aunt Christine and I are no substitute for your stellar parents, but we promise to be there for you no matter what. You can always come to me, Victor, if you need help, and I promise I won't rat you out to your mom. I can give you dating advice. Oh, and I can help repair the terrible damage that her what dating is this? advice what? does. Okay. I, I, I'm willing to teach you how to ride a motorcycle and play an instrument. Oh, your girl troubles will vanish immediately <laughs> once you know those two things. Yeah. And you can come to my house anytime. We can play Xbox, and you can sleep over and stuff. Now that you're adopted, you can officially hold my lizards. Okay. <laughs> I promise to love you, buddy. Yeah. No matter what. Me too. Okay. Okay. It's quite a family you're coming into. All right, on this day, January 24, 2013, Joel and Julia Graham have officially adopted Victor Graham. You're now legally their child. You have all the rights of any natural child. Okay. I will hereby sign this order confirming the adoption. I love the way that this family celebrates at the end of that. And we do that too, don't we? When a child comes to faith in Christ, I've been here. Baptisms. We celebrate when Jesus transforms lives. This is the family of God coming around a child who finds Jesus. What a beautiful example it looks like for the church to come around the emerging generation. Now, I'm certain that many of you in this church have had experience with adoption in some way or another. Adoption is a very intimate story for me and my family. My wife, Maria, and I, we adopted three of our kids, my daughter, Samantha, from Topeka. It has been an unbelievable journey of learning what it's like to be a father, but also learning what it's like to be a son and to be adopted in the family of God. There's nothing quite like it for me. And it has shown me unbelievable um, lessons about what it means to be accepted fully into the body of Christ. One thing that I have learned through this lens is that adoption recognizes that in every church there are insiders and there are outsiders. The power of adoptive ministry is not that we are adopted by a group of surrogate parents. You're not temporary parents. 
but rather as the inner circle of this gathering of which many of you are. We do whatever needs to be done to make sure that the adopted persons, and in this case, the emerging generation, experience the family of God as a fully embraced and included participant. In fact, I'd just like to take a minute. For all those of you that are teenagers in this room, for those young adults that are here, those children that are here, listen to me. We love you. This is your church. Absolutely. I would say this one more thing to those teenagers, those children, those young adults. We need you. We need you to stay with us. We need you to help us figure it out. And we've got a lot that we can share with you, but we also need you to share with us. This is a, a calling for you as well. The adoptive mindset then mandates that is respons- the responsibility of all of us to draw in, to include, and equip all those who feel like outsiders so they feel included at the very center of the work of God. Consider that when I return home tonight after being here, again, it's such a gift, but in a little while I'll get on a plane and I'll fly home and after about a 20-minute Uber ride into Chicago, I'll get home and I'll open the door, and the kids will hear the door open, right? My 15- and 12-year-old won't move. They don't care that much, right? (laughs) But my 8-year-old and my 5-year-old will probably um, wait up for me. And they're still at that age where they will run up to me and, like, jump into my arms. Daddy! It's kind of fun, right? It's like what I live for, actually. And I will scoop them up, because that's what dads do. We scoop up our kids, right? Even when they're 15, even when they're 25, even when they're 50, scoop up your kids, I'm serious. That's what we do as parents. Even when it's messy, scoop them up. But you know what I won't say to my daughter, Samantha, who we adopted from birth? I won't scoop her up and say, oh, my adopted daughter. I won't say that. I will scoop her up and I'm going to kiss her on the cheek and I'm going to say, oh, my daughter, I love you. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. We don't scoop up kids like they're somebody else's. This generation is our generation. It's our kids that you are called to and I am called to. When we live into the ministry of adoption, we recognize our task is to help the emerging emerging generation be fully insiders into this community. What is your legacy, church? What will you do now? Will you give this ministry value away that you've committed so much of your life to? I'm looking across this congregation. I see people who have sacrificed for this church for decades. What is your legacy now? Will it end? Or will you give it away to a younger generation? Person, say go and keep building the church with the Spirit's lead. Keep in mind that every child, every youth, every teenager has something to give to this community. I love this worship team. There are people in this worship team that I've seen lead here since they were little children, since they were much younger. And look at now, they're they're still here. They're still leading us. They're still serving this community, being served by this community. What a great example of what we are called to do as well. The emerging generation has gifts and talents and vision and energy. Can somebody say amen to energy? To bring to this family, we must do whatever we can to reach the emerging generation. Um, I'm going to ask Daniel and the worship team to come up, and I'm going to close with a story. And really, I wanted to say this. I think 
part of the solution for us as Hillcrest Covenant Church moving forward, and I need everyone to hear this, is I think we need a new shared narrative, a new shared story together. I, I think the value for reaching youth and young adults has not changed. I don't think the core principle behind why we do it has changed, but I think the way that we do it must, right? Like culture changes, things get harder. You've got to keep empowering our leaders to serve the community and we've got to keep doing what we can to reach the younger generation. But we need a new shared narrative because the church is a pretty black eye with the young adults right now. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. We have negative stereotypes across the church. We've got to get a new story going to change the narrative. That's on each of us individually and it's on this church as we think and pray about and follow the Spirit's lead for the future. It's at every congregational business meeting you have. It's in every small group that you have a conversation about. We've got to think about how do we change the narrative with the younger generation. One of the great gifts that I have as a, a denominational servant is I get to lead this youth ministry movement that we have for decades called Chick. Now we change the name to Unite. If that's news to you, I hope that feels good. So this youth ministry movement, it's an event that's been happening every three years since 1956. It's a beautiful opportunity for teenagers from across the covenant to come together and go deeper in their faith and to be challenged to go further in their mission with Jesus. And just a few events ago, um, uh, I, was, I was sitting, um, one of my, let me just say this, one of my favorite moments of every event that we have is our evening worship sessions when 5,000 people, again, these are for all across North America, all these people come together to worship together. We've got these great bands that come in, these great speakers that come in. It's an amazing event. And every night when we get together and worship, it's one of my favorite moments of the week. And there was this one year where everyone was together, this Division I basketball arena full of people, and we were worshiping Jesus, and we had this worship leader on the stage, a guy by the name of um, David Crowder, and he was leading worship, and we kind of had him in the middle so that everybody was kind of around him, and he's playing like a bluegrass kind of thing. If that's even worship, I don't know, maybe it is. I think it is. And he was calling kids up on the stage to dance for Jesus. Now, don't worry. When covenant kids dance, it's more jumping than anything, right? But these kids were coming up on stage and they were engaging in this great Jesus moment. Well, there was this one youth group that was sort of sitting out of bounds, behind the ropes, if you will, in the arena. And they were out of bounds. I noticed them at first because they were sitting back there and I kind of investigated what's going on with this youth group. They were sitting out of bounds and on the floor because they had a high school student who was in a wheelchair, paraplegic. And you know who he had helping him all week? Was an adult, volunteer adult from the church who took a week of vacation to go to this event and pushed that kid around all week so that kid could, could experience Jesus. In the 100 degree Knoxville heat, right? Not an easy call. And I just thought it was so awesome. But as David Crowder's playing his guitar and calling kids up on stage, wouldn't you believe it? The crowd parted. And that adult pushed that teenager in that wheelchair up to the stage. He unbuckled the straps that held him safe in the wheelchair, and he bear-hugged him. He lifted him up, and they, they stumbled up on the stage. 
and they began to dance for Jesus. You know what I believe? I believe that in that moment, because of the relationship, the calling between a teenager and an adult, there were kids in the room who said, you know what? Maybe this Jesus thing isn't a bad idea after all. Maybe it's time for me to say yes, because if some adult can give their kind of time to that kid and that kid can trust that adult, oh my, what could happen? Hillcrest Covenant Church, you are called to bear hug somebody into the kingdom of God. You are called to wrap your arms in love and gentleness without an agenda around someone who's far from Jesus, likely in the younger generation. Who is that person? They're in your life. It's not like they're not there. We have teenagers all across this room who are trying to figure out those three questions I named earlier. You work in communities where there are young adults and teenagers who are trying to find Jesus. You have the beauty of the good news of Jesus. Will you bear hug them? Share with them your life and allow God to use you to proclaim the good news that Jesus is King. May it be so in your life and may God give you opportunity that makes you uncomfortable. May God give you more opportunity than you know what to do with. And may you bind together as a congregation to say yes to Jesus. Yes to the emerging generation. Yes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.